This is Darth Korohor from the forums or J.P. Taurus from the chat rooms. And I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because you never put up my bumpers. Hey, Gamer Nation. This is Donovan Morningfire, Jedi Grandmaster of the D20 forums, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Attention sports fans, this Sunday at the Great Pit of Carcoon, it's bungee jumping time. That's right, just five miles south of Java's Palace in the Great Dune Sea, it's bungee jumping at the Sarlacc Pit. That's right, Sunday only, be a guest of Java the Hut. That's bungee jumping at the Sarlacc Pit. Bring the whole family, bring the kids, bring the dog, bring the dog-like thing, bring everybody. Come out and see bungee jumping at the Sarlacc Pit. Warning, small children, Jedi strides not admitted. Those weak hearts and weak confusion should take medication before coming out. Please do not touch trouble while you're here. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Execute Order 66 Here we are on the double deuce of Deuce Month for episode <laughs> double five of the Order Double Six podcast. Wow. If you can't tell, I got roped into a game of dominoes with my in-laws right before we came on. Sorry we are so late today. And, you know, hey, it happens. It is Sunday afternoon, and you're back for the Order 66 podcast, and I'm GM Dave. What is up, Gamer Nation? I am GM Chris, and uh, if you are just walking into the room for the first time, this is, of course, the Order 66 podcast, the only fan-generated podcast devoted entirely to the glory, the power, and the passion that is Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. So, it is a good evening. You're, uh, you're up on the doubles tonight there, Dave. Yes, I was, because we were playing 42. I learned how to play 42 for the first Dude, time. Dude, that's a fun game. Yeah, you know... Um, I guess I've known I've always known how to play dominoes just scoring points, you know, with the 5, 10, 15 on the ends, you know, count the pips and all. And I had uh, never really learned 42, which is uh, kind of like a cross between spades and dominoes. And oh, yeah. It's really kind of fun, actually. So uh, I learned it tonight, and uh, me and my, um, dang, I guess he'd be my nephew-in-law kind of uh, nephew. Yeah, just nephew. Yep. Uh, just completely killed my in-laws, and uh, yeah, we uh, we shot the moon nice. like eighty-four, whatever that's called, eighty-four. Nice. Yep, we did it. It was really awesome, but um, yeah, it was fun. So yeah, board games abound at the uh, at La Casa GM Dave. <laughs> What's going well, on over there? Never, ever a bad thing. All right, um, this is the one time that I will allow movie chat in the chat room because simply because I want to know who wins the supporting actor um, if anybody's watching it at the same time because Brev's not in the room. He's having a big party at his house. Yeah, yeah. He sent invitations too, and he's like, hey, come on over to the party. I'm like, you know, we got podcasts going on, right? Yeah. So, yeah, what, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, yes. Thank you uh, very much, guys, in the chat room. Wanted to acknowledge all 74 of you guys for being in there on this 
Oscar night. And uh, I don't know what Darth Obi-Wan's talking about there. ASU and UA, I'm not sure. Arizona State University in your analysis chat. I'm not sure what that's about, but <laughs> we'll just get started. Yes! Wahoo! And here we go. Ah, well, episode 9 of Game On is up since we last uh, made a broadcast, mostly because, um, uh, well, they were kind of a day late with it. And a dollar uh, short, and just just because of that freaking uh, manufactured holiday. Yeah, there you go, there you go, but... You can, of course, download it and join our friends Brian and Andy or Fiddleback and Ravenwing on the forums for talk of a subject very close to my heart, adventure gaming. But wait, Dave! There's more. There is more. Since our last show, Game On has released another episode, episode 10, which I've not had the pleasure of listening to yet, but everyone I've talked to so far, especially in the chat room, has said that it's probably their best episode ever. Wow. Um, in which uh, Brian and Andy provide their boundless wisdom and gaming experience to those wishing to start an RPG campaign. Cool. All right, yeah, so, they, really, so they... That's just... I mean, I love it. So they get two up there, two for the price of one. I know it, right? I'm awesome. Okay, thanks a lot, chat room. Already updated me that apparently Heath Ledger won. Well, I guess yeah. they already did it. So we'll talk We'll talk more about who accepted it because I was really curious about that. Yeah, and Dave Dreaming. Okay, how about that? Done, done. All right, awesome. So what else on the announcements front? Dude, man, a, a D20 Radio Presents has come right. up, and this is uh, for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplaying. A lot of you have listened to the Small But Vicious podcast uh, and have been intrigued. But you want to know how it plays, so you can find out now. Old school, our friend William. He's the host of the Small But Vicious podcast, or SBVP for short. Has managed (laughs) a live session of Warhammer RPG with his good friend Ken, Fiddleback, and mostly Joe. And they recorded their session live. It's two hours long, but it's up there for your perusal right now. Now, I want to listen to that because I have not played Warhammer Fantasy RPG, and I, I would very much be interested to know how it plays. Yeah, I kind of would too, you know? Yeah, man. Okay, I mean, well. I've played it online. I've, I've played, you know, Warhammer, Warhammer 40K, all that stuff. But, oh, uh, yeah, but this is totally different. Of course. Bag yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like comparing DDO to, to Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 or 4E. You can't do it. Can't do it. Yep, so I've already acknowledged the chat room, but uh, for those of you listening to the podcast after Sunday evening, you may always tune in at Ustream.tv or go to the20radio.com and click on the live video link on the right side, and you will be able to find us, watch us, and interact with us via the chat room. How about that? Oh, how you like them apples? They're good. Put that in your pipe and smoke it! Yeah, you, you do that. And while you're over uh, exploring the inner tubes, you can, of course, head to d20radio.com, and you can check out the link for our swag, where you can present your wonderful geekdom to the rest of the world by proclaiming your love for D20 Radio with a D20 Radio t-shirt. We have uh, two designs currently, uh, both the Radio Free Homlet and Order 66 podcast. And um, it's very cool. It's got a little logo of the D20 Radio Network on the front. And then uh, a varied message on the back, depending on your podcast choice. Yeah. So uh, I'll tell you I'll what. You in the chat room, they're asking for us to put that up on iTunes. And there is no feed associated with D20 Presents. D20 Radio Presents are just 
guys that are like putting up their stuff from their gaming yeah. sessions, and I, 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 I can't really justify putting that on iTunes because it's not a podcast, and I doubt iTunes would accept it. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I will add it to the D20 downloads feed. It's an XML feed that you guys can subscribe to through iTunes. However, it will never be listed with iTunes, if you know what I mean. And so if I simply, I think I just have to add it as a line on D20 Radio Downloads, and that way you can get, you guys can get it if you're subscribed to that particular feed through your iTunes. And that's what we're delivering the content with the, uh, with the character builders and the, 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 I think Zarissa just sent us something for uh, the CL Calculators. Yeah, the uh, the the, the uh, actually the Beast Generation system. Beast Zarissa Generation came up with. thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. And we're gonna have it. We had a lot of great stuff on the download section. I got something else today that I need to send you. Um, GM Dom, let's see the Minifin on the forums has managed to compile uh, five or six files, uh, PDF files of the errata for every book that has been released to date. And he has put them in nine by nine format wow. so that you can handily insert them in the back of your book. And uh, that's very cool. We're going to get that up on the downloads page as well very shortly. Dude, that's awesome. I love our community. You guys are fantastic. Can't say it enough. Can't say it enough. And speaking of the extended community, did we get any kind of communique this week? Oh, we did. I happened to get a postcard from our good friend, Commander Cody, which was great because we hadn't heard from him in a while. You know, I got I got the card you know last week, and it was really great to hear from him. And I was afraid he might be on duty, uh, you know, for the the Iktach blockade for a while. But uh, apparently, he's back out and about and uh, living the big life in the galaxy. So, I was looking at this postcard right now, Dave. It uh, it's a very standard postcard, and it appears as though it was created under heavy regulations. Uh, each letter mm. is very uniform, very even commonly stamped picture on the face is of a lonely planet with no moons. It appears wild and rugged, but one can clearly see a gigantic city on the surface ringed with various domed structures. And the wording on it reads, The benevolent guides welcome you to the planet Kagan. We will ensure you enjoy your stay. Mm. From across the galaxy, it's time for postcards from Commander Cody. Dear GM Dive and GM Chris, Greetings, boys. I'm glad to say my unit has finally transferred away from the Iktorch blockade and has begun helping once again with the task of maintaining order in the galaxy and expanding the glorious empire. All that talk of Iktorchy premonitions and foresight was starting to get on my nerves. I find it ironic, then, that we travel to the Outer Rim and the planet Kagan. This unremarkable world is well out of the way, nowhere near any major hyperspace routes, and consists mainly of rugged countryside and plateaus used for farming and herding. Only one city exists on Kagan, which the planet's small human population inhabits. A massive settlement, easily seen from orbit. The Kagan city is divided into different domed circles, each devoted to a different kind of work and connected by unpaved roads. Very primitive, but efficient. The history of Kagan is interesting. I'm told the people here were once ruled by another group of superstitious fools, supposedly precognitive humans, called the Benevolent Gods. Uh, this was well before the Clone Wars, but these leaders apparently were convinced of a coming darkness that would envelop the galaxy and their world, so they took great pains to isolate Kagan from the rest of the galaxy. But in their hubris to protect their people, they held them in virtual enslavement. The 
The illusion of choice, with all the options for that choice carefully controlled by the leaders. I'm certainly glad the Emperor would never allow such a fallacy in the Glorious Empire. The Kagan government failed just before the war, thanks to some intervening Jedi. I suppose even traitorous dogs can do something, right? Every once in a while. Even a broken chronometer tells the right time once a day. But Keegan, today, still suffers from the isolationist policies their misguided ancestors initiated. It's a world separated, and filled with potential natural resources and labor. We're here as the vanguard of the Imperial morph Jared Zinn, who is adamant in bringing this poor, benighted world under the strong and protective wing of the Galactic Empire. For their sake, I hope we're able to succeed in our mission. Well, guys, wish us luck. I'd best be off now. If you're in the mood for some good camping, and a lack of proper civilized ideas is your cup of tea, take a trip to Keegan. It's certainly worth seeing. Later, guys. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Cody. Nice. Yeah, I don't think I've ever even heard of Keegan, have you? No. Nope, I haven't, as a matter of fact. Well, you know, um... You know, if, if they're isolationists, that would kind of make sense, I guess. That's probably why. Just, well, the question is, did they know that I wasn't going to have heard of them? Um, I don't know, man. Now you're, you're going to blow my mind with the whole time travel stuff again. I'm going to have to call John claude and get him to jump back. There, and... there, there is no time travel in Star Wars. Star Trek is rife with that crap, but not Star Wars. Well, I was going after uh, Time Cop. Actually, I know, so I know. I was ignoring that movie because you know, just right. because it was such a bad movie. That's okay. That was just the movie that uh, like uh, somebody went to Taser uh, Van Dam and he like did the splits on his kitchen counter and that was like you know. <laughs> did like, it, wow! Did, I wish did, I could did, do that. Did it excite you, Dave? Not really, but I was like, wow! I wish I could do that. That'd be really kind of cool. Anyway, all right, let's do this. The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. Dark thoughts with Twi'lek goodness. During a really bad sandstorm on Tatooine, I wonder if Han Solo, when he was encased in carbonite, thought, man, I'm sure glad I'm not out there. This has been Dark Thoughts with Twi'lek goodness. And now, Stormtrooper Poetry. Polaranian Brandy is dandy. Corellian ale never fails. Juma juice has its use. Mandalorian wine is just fine. But when it comes to hardcore drinking, the thing that gets me really stinking is blue milk with an ad at chaser and about 20 minutes of Captain Thoros and toilet goodness. Oh yeah. Stormtrooper poetry. Yep, there's our poetry friend. Stirring the pot. Uh, Stirring the pot. Stirring the pot. Yep. <laughs> yes, I think I hear laughter behind you. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think TG found that rather funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found it a little funny too. I have to Bob say, up like we. yeah, all right. So let's step into the bay. Eight. 
20 docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Alright. So, D20 docking bay, where we take your calls, emails, forum posts in some cases, and we answer your questions. With the best of our abilities, of course. Indeed. Pales in comparison to that of, say, Rodney Thompson. But I dare say we're almost the next best thing. We do have 53 more podcasts out than he does. So <laughs> let's start with an email from Ryan Dawson. Cool. You wouldn't know it, but this guy actually owns Dawson's Creek. Does he? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, great questions about droids. So, in number 43, you talked about building droid characters. This is an Order 66 episode number 43, which encouraged me to try it out, and I've run into a few problems. Biggest question I've run into is how to deal with the tools that are also weapons. The toolkit, Core Rulebook, page 139, describes how to use tools as improvised weapons. Let's look at the fusion cutter, for example. Deals 2d6 energy damage, treated as a simple weapon, gives a minus 5 penalty on all attacks with it. However, it notes that a droid with a tool mount doesn't have that penalty, which leaves it a, do a 2d6 weapon, simple weapon. Hey, that's awesome. It's almost good as a short lightsaber thing, but it can't ignore DR. But here's the problem. It's not exactly statted out as a weapon. I'm building a high dexterity, small size droid, so weapon finesse seems like a good choice for a feat, but yeah. I can only finesse weapons that are tiny or smaller, or lightsabers. I need to know what size a fusion cutter is, and is the book totally silent on that? What do you think? And what does a fusion cutter cost as a mounted tool, since all we're given is the cost of a toolkit as a single unit? Good, good questions. Yeah, that is a good series of questions, Ryan. Um, okay, first of all, I think weapon finesse is a great idea, especially for a, a high dex droid. But is your fusion cutter a light weapon? Well, first of all, per the rules, let's answer your second question first. You don't mount just a fusion cutter. You mount an entire toolkit, which has the fusion cutter in it. And you pay for the entire toolkit. I suppose a, a GM could hand wave it and say you could just buy the fusion torch, but why bother? Just just mount the entire toolkit. It's in there as raw for a reason. It doesn't. And it, 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 why not get the whole darn toolkit? Why not? Okay, it's a bunch of more weapons at your disposal. Um, okay, so you mount an entire toolkit, tool kit, which has the fusion cutter in it, and you pay for the entire toolkit. Now, as to whether the fusion torch is a light weapon, okay, which needs to be tiny in size if you're a small droid, you yourself mentioned later in your email that the handy weight-to-object size chart on page 38 of Scum and Villainy uh, kind of gives us a little bit of a hint. Now, according to this, anything less than a kilo is a tiny object, and thus, to you, finessable. Now, a toolkit weighs exactly one kilo, so as a GM, I would really have no problem ruling that one of the six tools inside that one kilo toolkit is less than a kilo and thus a tiny object and thus weapon finessable for you. Um, but right. either way, I think a little bit too much thought is being put into that. It's a freaking fusion cutter. It's very, very small. And yes, I would say you could weapon finesse it. It's but a freaking fusion cutter. It's a fusion cutter. I mean, but honestly, no matter what, Ryan, be sure to talk with your GM about it. He or she may have different ideas, and what's most important is that when the rules don't lay it out, you can come to your own conclusions, but it's your GM that is the final adjudicator of that decision. Right. 
listen to your GM. Okay, so, Avendasora, next question. Okay. Avendasora posts this question on the forums. I know the list of actions that provoke attack of opportunity is relatively short, at least compared to D&D 3rd edition. <laughs> yeah. And intentionally left slightly a little vague, like so much in this system. However, after playing 3.5 for so many years, I'm starting to confuse the two systems. Can you provide a fairly exhaustive list of AOO provoking actions that's attack of opportunity, younglings? Both in raw and how you would play it. Wow. This is going to take just a bit. Mm, yeah, yeah. Not, not too long. I mean, there's only a, maybe uh, 10 or so. I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah there's not too many. Um, okay. Page 156 of the core rulebook of Endosaur presents a very solid list of AOO provoking actions. One, moving out of a threatened square. Two, making an unarmed attack without the martial arts one feat. Three, aiming. A lot of people don't realize that. I had a player recently in my game who was aiming and was right next to the patio, and I'm like, you realize that's going to provoke an attack of opportunity? He's like, no, I didn't. I'm like, well, yeah, you're looking down your scope. You know, yeah. Uh, four, loading a weapon. Five, picking up an item. Six, retrieving a stored item. Seven, moving into an enemy's square. And eight, using any skill that distracts you or forces you to drop your guard, GM's discretion. Eight ways to provoke an attack of opportunity. That's it. This is the list published as raw, rules as written, but I'm betting that the very last one is the one that's giving you a headache, using any skill that distracts you or forces you to drop your guard. That's really where the only vagueness comes in. So here's how I personally clarify this further. Okay, using any skill that distracts you or forces you to drop your guard, GM's discretion. This consists in my games of use computer, mechanics, treat injury. That's my short list. To me, as a GM, I can't think of any use of those three skills that would not force you to drop your guard or be distracted to perform it properly. To a lesser extent, I think certain uses of use the force may also qualify, per my discretion. Um, most use the force checks made to maintain powers, for example, I will also rule, you know, can provoke. Um, but, you know... Dave, I've, I've gamed with some GMs who rule that if you have skill focus for the skill in question, you don't provoke attack of opportunities with it. You're just, you're just that seasoned with the skill. And that's an interesting rule. I don't, I don't use it myself. Um, but you know, depending on the circumstances of Endosora, other uses of any skill might be included in my short list. The bottom line is, anytime a character makes a skill check in combat, you have to ask yourself, would this distract him or drop his guard? That's your decision to make. And if the answer is yes, then it's an attack of opportunity provoking thing. So, a little bit of a vague answer, but I hope the above list helps you somewhat, sir. There you are. All right, now I have a bunch of questions that came in on the loser line, which I'm very happy about. Woohoo! 206-600-5872 or LUSA out there in Radioland. Come on, make the call. Pick it up. Pick up the phone and make the call. It's not that hard. All right, so let's go. First question. Okay. Hey, this is uh, Metal Punk, and I had a question for you guys, uh, especially after we talked about something about the GM's perspective. Well, we talked about this in the chat room a little bit after you guys left. Uh, I'm a group's GM, and uh, my little brother wants to become a GM, he, you know, he's messed around with it a little bit, 
but the problem is his friends like it better if I GM, like, to the point where they told him they won't play if he's going to be the GM. Um, I think he's got a lot of great creative ideas. He just doesn't quite have the practice running the game, you know, kind of keeping people in line. And uh, I wondered if you guys had any advice on ways that either I can share some of the GM responsibilities to get him some more practice or, uh, you know, how I might handle the situation. I don't want to hurt his feelings because I really think he does have GM skills. They just they need to be developed. And we tried getting other groups together, and there's just not enough people in the area right now gaming where we do, so. Uh, any help would be appreciated. Wow. Yeah, good question. Um, okay, man. Well, uh, all right. A, a couple pieces of advice I guess I can give you. And Dave, chime in too, man. Um, I don't know how young your little brother is, but if he's passionate about GMing, I think you should encourage it at every possible opportunity. Um, now, in terms of the group, I think there's a few things you can do. First and foremost, I think you should talk to them, all right, privately and say, listen, I know you guys don't want him to GM, but I think he could be a good GM and he needs to practice. There's no better way to become a good GM than practice, practice, practice. Encourage them to allow him the opportunity, all right? With a one-shot. Yeah, at the very least, you know. Um, now, beyond that... You presented a really good idea, which I would like to echo. And if I don't know how young he is, but if he's young, this is a wonderful solution. I've seen a lot with older GMs, often parents, helping their kids learn how to GM. Um, and this is what I call split GMing, where you guys both GM the game together. And oftentimes, you know, if he's young especially, I imagine he's got a great imagination. And I'm, I'm sure he can tell a story well. But a lot of times where players get frustrated with GMs is their lack of knowledge of the rules, which also comes with time, and their ability to not keep track of everything when an encounter is going on. So here's what I'd recommend. You take the driver's seat and put him in the co-pilot's chair. When the time comes to actually run an encounter, let him run it. Let him keep track of the initiative. Let him make the decisions for the NPCs. Let him adjudicate the encounter with your watchful eye, while at the same time you keep the encounter flow going, you keep the story going, and let him for do, for what is like a better term, the paperwork. Okay, Let him get comfortable with that, clean with that, and fast with that. And once he is, that's not going to be his worry. And then he'll only be worried about running the rest of the game. Baby steps. All right, That's just kind of what I'd recommend. But if you stick with it and talk to your gaming group about it, I mean, I'm sure you guys can probably come up with something together. But that's, right. that's my recommendation. Dave? Yeah, I'm there. I'm there with you, too. And then, um, again, not knowing how old your little brother is, I'd, I'd almost be leaning a little bit toward your gaming group, practicing a little bit of douchebaggery by not letting him uh, learn. But uh, it just depends on how bad is bad and uh, how young is young, and you know they need to give yeah. them, they need to cut them a little bit slack. Yeah. But by the same token, a one shot isn't going to kill you if you work with him beforehand, work with him a little bit through it, and you know I I, I have the feeling that there's some other issues here as well. So. Yeah, there there may be, but I mean honestly, it comes down to talking to your gaming group and you know giving them the opportunity. Again, you know what? And you've heard, heard this said before: bad gaming is worse than no gaming. So right. a lot of people say, you know, I'd rather not game than not have fun. You know, so it, it's often tough to ask players, "Hey, can you potentially not have fun in order to help this person learn?" Um, and depending on their level of maturity, they may or may not be up for that. 
Um, so if you can find a way to adjudicate it where you're allowing him to learn while at the same time reigning it yourself so you can keep the game fun for all involved, that might be a good solution. There you go. All right, Elias Windrider chimes in with a question of his own. Okay. Hello, uh, this is Elias Windrider. Uh, I've got a question. I actually uh, sent this question in before Rodney. I was hoping uh, I was on in episode 52. I was hoping he'd get a chance to answer it, but I guess my other three questions got uh, played instead. The um, other three, mind you. You know, <laughs> I sent you four. You played three. I really was disappointed. I also, that I'd I also didn't like to point them. out, Elias, I love you. You sent me like two emails, uh, three emails, two of them from your cell phone, and they all had different questions on them. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I missed one. <laughs> anyway, let's get to the fourth one now. Uh, the question I have is let's say a character has the toughness talent, the hard target talent, and their surgeon's feet. Hard target lets you uh, uh, use uh, take a second wind as a reaction, and the surgeon feat uh, lets you uh, take a move action immediately upon uh, using uh, uh, a second wind. Does this mean that if you have the toughness feat, which is a prerequisite, a toughness talent, which is a prerequisite, the hard target talent, and the surgeon feat, that you can take a move action? on somebody else's time, turn. All right. That's my question. Thanks for listening, uh, or thanks for answering your <laughs> attention. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Elias. I'm sorry we weren't able to get that out for Rodney, but we'll do our best to answer it now. Hey, um, how about we answer it by saying yes? Yeah, yes. I mean, gosh, why not? I mean, basically, to kind of summarize what you're saying, uh, you so you you have you have an ability that lets you move for free when you take a second win. which resurgence, it's an awesome ability, and then you have an ability that lets you take a second win when it's not your turn. Okay, well, regardless of when the second win's taken, you still get to move when you take it. So I would say, yeah, there's other talents and feats that let you take move actions and things like that when it's not your turn. I don't see it as that far of a stretch, especially when you're investing three talents or feats in order to get to that point. I don't think it's going to mess things up too bad for what is really a once in encounter ability, which is the only time you the only you know you go on second win once in encounter. So, yeah. So I would say yes. There you go. All right, Merkaba Jedi has a question. And by the way, Merkaba, you need to send me Theros back and drop the background music out because I couldn't pull one out from the other, so I can't really play it. Anyway, so no Captain Theros tonight. Basically, is what I'm saying, guys. And Aww. I know it's all right. So let's get to his question. Hey, uh, this is Merkaba Jedi calling to ask you guys your opinions about something. It was uh, coming up with a use uh, with Force Disarm and Rebuke. Uh, we were wondering, say someone tries to, say, Force Disarm the Breather um, off of a Kaldor, and that Kaldor uses Rebuke, and they use it successfully. Um, not only using it successfully, they use it with enough success to reflect the force disarm back on the person who initiated it. Now, would you have to select a similar item, like something on their face, to try and disarm, or could you just disarm anything on them, any any use of disarm, basically force disarm back on them? That, that was the central question. Thanks for your perspective, guys, and uh, I'll uh, see you around the chat room. Peace. Peace.
All right, Please, I, have, I, have, I have several problems with this on several levels, but I'll let you go ahead first. Okay. Um, I have a couple problems with it, too. But, um, okay, primarily to get to the heart of your question. First of all, I don't think this situation could work anyway, but that's the second part. The first part is when you rebuke a power, you when it's directionally based, it has been clarified that you don't have to make it exact. So, for example, if I'm rebuking Force Slam... I can rebuke. I, I can choose now the direction Force Slam goes in, as long as it affects the person I'm rebuking it against. Basically, um, now with Force Disarm, okay. If I'm trying to yank a pistol out of your hand and you rebuke it, um, and I don't have a pistol in my hand, all of a sudden, oh hey, yeah, I can't rebuke it. It doesn't work against you. No, I can yank out anything that's in your hand or an attendant object on your body. That makes perfectly sense. My problem is the fact that you're using Move Object to rip a Keldor's Breath Mask off. Um, do you feel me, Dave? I feel you. And I, I, I have half a mind that force disarm means, to me, disarm, as in take a weapon away, not what? something else. But, I mean, I know it doesn't necessarily call that out specifically in the rule. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, because, I mean, as far, as far as the force power goes, it specifically says that you use it, you, you make it use the force check in place of a disarm attack rule. Okay, now the me- disarm mechanics say that you can disarm an attended object. Right. All right. right. Now, is, is a Keldor's breath mask an attended object? Absolutely. However, yeah. Yeah. I would not believe it could just fall off or you could drop it, which you could with any other attended object. I would put a breath mask in kind of the same category as a combat glove, um, which if you if you go to the, the actual entry right on page 121 in the core rulebook, um, it specifically says that they can't be disarmed or dropped because of how they're worn. Um, I mean, it's a glove. Now, I would put a breath mask or consequently um, a, uh, you know, an aquata breather or something to that effect. Well, not an aquata breather. You hold that in your mouth. But, you know, the, 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 the atmospheric breather um, in the same category. It's kind of strapped to your head. I wouldn't allow you to just yank that off. If it can't fall off on its own, you can't just drop it without doing some extra maneuvering. I, I wouldn't allow it to be yanked off with the force disarm. Yeah, that's kind of my other problem, too. Yeah. So, yeah, that's one of those GM fiat things that I don't think I would allow that to be force disarmed. So, yeah, I mean, that's. But, yeah. I mean, to answer the question originally, yeah, okay, if you rebuke force disarm against somebody else with the sufficient role to reflect it back on them, then yeah, you can take another attended object out of their hand for lack of anything matching. Absolutely. So, there you go. Absolutely. Okay, so um, OKZ sent us a question, and let's hear what that is. Hey, GM Chris and GM Dave. This is Outlaw Night Zero, otherwise known as Adam on the forums, or something like that. Um, I have a question for you guys about um, followers that you mentioned last podcast um, and multi-classing. Um, do the traits that are established by um, each talent taken apply to all your followers or just the one that you get with that particular trait or talent? Um, thank you so much, and um, I hope not to listen to you next week. All right. Bye, guys. Yeah, we appreciate that. <laughs> That's actually a really good question, um, considering our followers' discussion from last week. And um, uh, to clarify, what he's referring to is the fact that every one of the three classes, uh, either noble, um, scout, or soldier, that can gain followers, underneath their 
their main, what I called uh, a baseline follower gathering talent. There's other talents that enhance your followers. For example, um, Inspire Loyalty is the, the baseline talent for the noble in the Loyal Protector talent tree, which lets them gain a follower. And then underneath that, they have like undying loyalty. Each of your followers gains the toughness feat. And of course, that has a prerequisite of Inspire Loyalty. Um, now, it does specifically say on every single one of these modification talents, sir, that each of your followers gains blank. It does not specify where those followers came from. Therefore, rules is written. I would say it would apply to every follower you have. Yep. And quite frankly, if, if you're going through the trouble of getting all those multi-class levels, and furthermore, because this thing has a prerequisite of the Inspire Loyalty feat, you would have to take a follower from the class with the other talent in question in order to even get the other follower modification talents for that class. Right. Does that make sense? So we're talking about a massive talent investment here. Um, but if you meet the uh, prereqs for the talent, it would apply to every follower you have. But I mean, for three followers from three different classes, I mean, you're talking about six talents just to get something special from each one of your classes to apply to each follower. So that's a lot. Righto. All right, those are your questions. You guys want to email them in? You can do so. GM Dave at, G- at d20radio.com, GM Chris at d20radio.com, or of course, call the loser line 206 600 5872. And oh, we got one last phone call here. Hey, love the show. Woo! Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while. Yeah, it's been a long oh, yes, time. Yes. Oh, and also, if you guys uh, are a little squeamish about email or telephones, and you just live on the intertubes, um, you can, of course, get to our website at d20radio.com slash forums, where you can go to the forums and become a member of the Gamer Nation. You can post your questions there as well. If uh, we don't get to them ourselves, uh, we have an amazingly wonderful community that is eager to provide excellent advice and questions, as they often do. That's right. So, D20radio.com slash forum. If you go to for, if you if you go to slash forums, you will be in forums for somebody else entirely. My 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 bad. That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> or you will soon be because they haven't been built yet. But yeah, sites <laughs> sites undergoing some major overhaul here again because we've grown yet again, and I'll talk about that in daydreaming as well. So all right, let's take a little bit of a break before we go to suspending the rules. For the Alex and Trevor show. And this is like four minutes or so. And we will see you guys on the other side. Ooh, I can't wait. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. This is segment seven of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen to talk about the interface visors that you'll find listed on page 73 of the KOTOR campaign guide. I really enjoyed playing the KOTOR computer games, but I was worried when Saga was going to release a campaign guide for KOTOR, that all of that really cool equipment from KOTOR was going to imbalance the system in Saga. But they've done a really good job of this equipment in bringing the flavor of the equipment, but not destroying the balance of Saga. There are three specific ones, the computer interface visor, the mechanical interface visor, and the medical interface visor. Essentially, they all function in the same way. They're going to give you the ability to use that skill, computer mechanics or free injury, even if you're untrained, and it also provides a plus two equipment bonus on used computer checks. 
It can't be worn at the same time as a helmet or any other device on your head. The plus two equipment bonus is kind of nice, but the thing that I thought when I was reading this was what in the world would an untrained character want one of these for? If you're untrained in these skills, yes, you get to use it, and you get to use all of the trained-only applications, but your skill bonus is going to be so low. I mean, sure, you've got half-level and whatever attribute, and then the plus two from the equipment, but your skill ability really isn't going to be all that high. And so I started to think to myself, uh, besides the nice plus two bonus, how else could these be used well? Well, I came up with a bit of an idea. I start first level noble, take wealth, so you've got some cash on hand. Dip into scoundrel and pick up fool's luck, so that you can spend a force point for a plus five competence bonus per encounter. Purchase all three of these visors, and don't be trained in any of these three skills. You're now in any encounter... Whip out whichever visor you need to perform, whether you're doing uh, me mechanics, medical, or use computer, and you've got a plus seven bonus to start with. Granted, you have to spend a force point for it, but you've got at least a plus seven bonus, plus half your level, plus whatever your attribute is, in three completely different skills, and you're capable of doing all sorts of interesting things, and still have all the other skills your noble and scoundrel might have. Over to you, Trevor. Right, and today I want to talk about an interesting rule uh, that they created for KOTOR on page 31, and that is the combined feats concept. And basically what the combined feats concept is, is if you have two feats that are you know listed on these pages accordingly, like for example, weapon focus and weapon finesse, you have the two of them together. When you are wielding a single-handed weapon for which you have weapon focus, you can treat the weapon as a light weapon for the purposes of weapon finesse, and actually there's an errata that changes that. But what's nice about it is that it expands the concept of the game. It takes the idea of feats and allows either the player or the, the GM to come up with interesting ways that feats get you know used together. There are small benefits. They shouldn't be the equivalent of another feat or a talent, but... It, it gives you more flavor and rewards people who take, you know, things that are kind of coupled together or work well together. I think it's a nice concept that they came up with in the book. I'd like to see a lot of home brew rules that people have come up with. I'd like to see what other people have, have considered. Um, seeing as KOTOR is technically the first book released, but technically the second book, you know, published, um, we haven't seen any other combined feats, so I'm really curious to see in the uh, Clone Wars campaign guide if they have more combined feats. I'd like to think they do, and that this will be an ongoing rule change that we'll see going forward. Anyways, that's it for this uh, session. If you have any questions or comments for either Alex or I, please feel free to contact us at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. Perfect. Huzzah. All right, so what do we say? You want to suspend some rules now? I'm down with that. All right, cool. Come to order. Chancellor, 
Request a motion to suspend the rules. You're gonna suspend the rules? Shut up, Shut up. Motion granted. Ah, so what rules are we suspending today, sir? Well, this is a nice little segment that I like to call. Is that a lightsaber in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> and uh, would you happen to have a Colt 45? Sorry. That's the worst Billy D. Williams. <laughs> it wasn't ever. meant to be a Billy D. Williams. It was just a. Did you happen to have a Colt 45? <laughs> I got up and got a Dr. Pepper, and then my wife uh, actually, uh, during that segment, started asking me questions and. Uh, I had my stopwatch going on my phone, and I was like, oh my gosh, I've got seven seconds to run back down the hallway. Whew, barely made it. Those of you in the chat room saw that I barely made it back, so we I'm appreciate interested. it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, two house rules presented by the Gamer Nation, and they both pertain to lightsaber combat. Ooh. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. What are okay, they? Okay, so from the glorious fjords of Norway. Darth Prefect? This would be Darth Prefect. Oh, yes. He's doing some yodeling, and he's talking about block and deflect. Two very, very well-used abilities that uh, I say any Jedi is uh, is one to pick up. So, let's see. More, I, I, anyway, okay, let's see this. Very strong abilities to have. Two talents that are picked up more than anyone else in any, any other in the game. But... Does it make sense to be able to focus entirely on your defense while, say, running at full speed or when making an all-out attack? Well, the Clone Wars probably would, but that's not my style of game usually. <laughs> my house rule is make to make both these talents require the use user to spend a swift action on his turn to activate them, with the effect lasting until the beginning of their next turn. I find this to be simple, glorious power check on what is often a very frustrating ability. Thoughts. All right. Can I go first? Yeah. I think that the balance aspect is taken care of with the penalty. You use it. You use it again. You use it again. It gets harder and harder and harder. Good point. You know, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't like making uh, uh, such an often used talent harder to use I'm just not I mean Jedi are powerful yes I will I will give you the fact that they're powerful but there are a few checks and balances to make sure that they don't just use this every damn time they get shot at well I mean they, they will but now to be fair it is rare that a house rule is ever presented that you like you, you're a pretty raw guy uh, in in more way than one, Dave. <laughs> oh, uh, that's what she said. Whoa, that, oh, that's oh, what she said. Oh, ah. Oh, oh. Uh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, you know what? I, you know, the, the cumulative minus five to block and deflect. Yeah, it, it is a great check and balance. But you can't tell me in our games that it's not frustrating as all get out when you're fighting a dark Jedi or someone who keeps blocking and deflecting your stuff, and it. It's one of those things that it's it's almost it, it is it is by far and away the most powerful defensive ability in the game, and it's it's interesting that the most powerful offensive abilities in the game usually 
take a full round to do. Therefore, I can use the most powerful offensive ability in the game and then use the most powerful defensive ability in the game. I don't know. This rule is interesting to me because it allows you to really, okay, I'm going to do one or I'm going to do the other. So, I don't know. I can see using it. But frankly, I'm in line with you. I think I think the cumulative penalties are fine. But if you find they're becoming a hassle in your game, I think this is a wonderful house rule to implement. Yeah, it's not so bad, you know? Oh. Yeah, it's really not bad. Okay. Let's cut the music. Jeff Rantner also expressed his lightsaber frustrations, mainly that the Jedi Master Prestige class does not have access to the Jedi Knight's lightsaber form's talent tree. So he offers this house rule. I give the Jedi Master Prestige class access to the lightsaber form talent tree for two reasons. One, it just makes sense. <laughs> Why should I suddenly not be able to learn more lightsaber forms because I have a deeper understanding of the Force? See, this sounds like back when New Zealand... Never mind. And two, if you include... No, you know what? I'm going to tell that story. No, 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 finish, finish the question. All right, fine. If you include the stolen form talent tree, or talent from uh, Threats of the Galaxy in the Sith talent tree, members of the Sith Lord prestige class who have access to that tree can now learn new forms while Jedi Masters cannot. This just don't seem right. I'm, I tend to agree. Okay, and now now you can tell your whatever story. As long as it's relevant, I'm okay with that. Alright, so, um, you know, why can't I learn new stuff because I have a deeper understanding of the Force? Well, although not necessarily related, back in the America's Cup, for those of you that enjoy sailing, which is me, if you'd believe it, yes, this is yet another thing that I got into, sailing. Uh, the America's Cup is a big yacht race held every so often, depending on and where it is the owners of the cup. And I kind of lost track since the Dennis Conner days. And anyway, a long, a long time ago, the U.S. used a catamaran, which is like a, I don't know, double... It's a it's a catamaran. It's a catamaran, like a double hull, you know, whatever. Anyway, I'm I'm just trying to figure out how this relates to lightsaber form talentry. Anyway, <laughs> well, they beat New Zealand. We beat New Zealand, and New Zealand protested. It was uh, illegal, you know. It was illegal uh, to uh, use uh, that, right? So, you know, just because they were not able to do it, they said it was illegal, even though they're master yachtsmen, just like we were master yachtsmen. They just didn't do it because they didn't have they didn't want to do that particular kind of boat. So in essence, New Zealand filed a challenge because the Americans used a faster boat. So they, they felt like they shouldn't have lost. Anyway, so is this unfair to the Jedi Master? I think so. We should give him access to the faster boat. Okay. Well I I see your analogy. Interesting. And I I I do enjoy the American the America's Cup. Um I don't know. Listen, now, I think it's important to distinguish the rank from the level in a prestige class. Being a Jedi Master is not the same as having levels in the Jedi Master prestige class. And it's entirely possible that a Master could have no levels in the class. Okay? I mean, we talk about this all the time, Dave, that, you know, just being a Jedi does not mean having levels in the Jedi class. Right. Right. Jedi, the Jedi Master Prestige class is supposed to be representative of higher levels of learning. Less, to, in my opinion, less saber, more mojo. Okay, that's why I think it's not. You know, hey, you you want to be, you know, if you're, I'm a Jedi Master, I want to learn lightsaber talents. Well, great. Take some more levels in the Jedi Knight Prestige class. Doesn't mean you're less of a Jedi Master. Okay. 
So I kind of got to disagree with you there. That's what I think the class is about. And the Sith Lord Prestige class is, uh, excuse me, was the same way. Now, having said that, this Sith Lord Prestige class angle now is unbalancing because what Threats of the Galaxy did is it said, oh, wow, there's this stolen form talent, and it's part of the Sith talent tree, and Sith Lords get access to it, which means Sith Lords can learn the, uh, the, the lightsaber form talents, and that that, my friends, is imbalancing. Right. Um, therefore, based on that alone, I would do one of two things in my game, probably based on what my players wanted to do, and I know what my players would want to do. I, w- I would either give Jedi Masters access to the lightsaber form talent tree myself, or I would state that a Sith Lord cannot access the uh, single talent of stolen form. So, let me get this straight, then. You disagreed with me, but you told a story to agree with me. Nice. I appreciate that. Thank you. You don't, don't, don't be dogging on me for telling stories. That though. is validation right there, my <laughs> brother. I didn't say I like the rule raw, raw. I said, yeah, from a fairness balance perspective, I like that particular rule. If, uh, if the Sith is going to have the faster boat, we need to give the Jedi the faster boat, too. Well, there you go. There you are. And, uh, of course, in the, in the chat room, uh, old school, uh, Billy is saying, but they're Sith! They're supposed to have a faster boat! That's right. Uh, because well, they rely on their passion, the inside of them burning at the mere thought of a Jedi walking into their space. Wow, that was impressive. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I'm, I'm impressed. Yep. Hey, awesome. All right, here's Darth Obi-Wan talking about uh, Arizona State and your analysis again. I'm not entirely sure what that is. Okay. It's probably it's probably uh, it's probably uh, Arizona State and uh, Zona. I bet they're playing basketball or something. Okay, so um, this just in from the D20 News Desk. Oh, never mind. The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. See, I should have fired that off first. And now, dark thoughts with Twi'lek goodness. So I'm still stuck on this whole Han Solo encased in carbonite. I mean, if he starts thinking about Leia and her gold bikini, and then he starts to get really excited, what happens? This has been Dark Thoughts with Twi'lek goodness. Well... TG presents the unanswerable questions. The questions that keep grown nerds awake at night. Yes, absolutely, and that is, uh, okay, I have a fundamental problem with this one, only insofar as he's encased in carbonite and actually released before the gold bikini comes out, but that doesn't want to, you know, I mean, no, the blaster pistol still gets polished regardless, so, you know, it's one of those things. Oh, dear me. You know what, Dave? Yes, can I help you? Um... I think we should do something we haven't done in a while. I think we should collect on a paycheck that we send out monthly to a little friend that we happen to have in the Imperial ranks. Ah, TK421. We haven't talked to him in a month of Sundays. No, I know, right? Holy smokes. All right, well, then let's give it a shot. Brought to you by Advil. Okay. TK421, sir... Are you at your post? See, he wasn't... How the heck you doing, Holzer? (laughs) See, 
here. I thought you weren't even expecting our call. Wow. Oh, my, you know I'm listening for you every week, mate. I just can't get enough of that sweet, dulcet, dove uh, voice of yours. Hey, that's me, man. Yeah. Don't you forget. How you been, Hoser? I ain't talked to you in a week of Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I just said that almost sort of kind of the same way. Huh? Oh, you know, um... I've just been I've been here, you know. We 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 went like three weeks without doing an official podcast and so that's why we hadn't called in a while, so But I appreciate you taking the time here on the double nickel episode. Oh hey man, you know me, I'm a big fan of the double nickels. I'm uh you know that's that's my favorite pod racing driver, you know. Uh uh Trick Colo, man. He he's a he's a double nickels, he's number man. He drives the uh, the Asbet to Blue milk car and uh you know, they're out there doing uh Doing some racing the other day, man. I was enjoying it. I was sitting and drinking and listening, and it was a good old time. All right. Did they say, boogity, 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 boys, let's go racing? They do that? No, no, they didn't do that. All right. Well, that's all right. Yeah, man. But listen, man, I'll tell you what, it's been a crazy week, man. I'll tell you what. I was down there at the track, you know, watching them pod racings, and I was coming out, man. There's an old, you know what I saw down there? What did right you outside that? the stadium? I saw a good old fashioned street fight, son. <laughs> did you really? I mean, there was this fella, right? He's a big old guy. Thinking, what, what are them piggy fellas? What do you call them? The, the Gamorians. You know yep. what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. Okay, oh. go ahead. Oh, yeah, and he was fighting this little fella, man, and I mean, this little fella was little. I mean, little. A hey, little those... scrawny old little human, man. Those Gamorreans are strong, dude. they pound weakling, son, I swear. Yeah, I know. Those Gamorreans are strong, man. I know, but people's was taking bets, man, and they was, you know, I, I had to get in on that action, so I, I put my two double nickels up on the big Gamorrean, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be some easy money, man. And this little fella, man, I couldn't believe it. He kicked the living crap out of that piggy dude. I swear to God. He's running all over, just just popping him here, popping him there, coming up from behind, doing the, the one, two, the one, two, 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 one, two, man. It was insane. Wow. I lost my double nickels. I was very displeased. Oh, sorry about that, man. I know that, I know that's frustrating when, you know, it should be an easy, it should be an easy money right there. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, some kid in a rented car just uh, all of a sudden beat your number one driver and you know it sounds like what that's what happened here except this was the uh, Star Wars version of a fist fight so that's oh, kind of a bug I think this reminds me of a prestige a prestige class that we might be speaking about on our podcast here very soon sir prestige what uh, never mind you, you wouldn't know what that is sorry well, listen, Hoser, I, I can't talk too long, I'm afraid. I got to get back on duty. The bus is leaving back for the Star Destroyer soon, and I won't get left behind, you know. Are you taking Maybe. a bus to a Star Destroyer? Well, well, how will you know, I'm sorry, Dave. I am not a rich man. I cannot afford anything but public transportation. All right, fair enough. You can go to hell, son. I don't care. Oh, <laughs> remember who signed your paychecks. All right. Have a great time, man. Sorry, Jim, Dave. All right, I, I got to go, man. Uh, tell GM Chris I said hello. Will Later, Hosers. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> See? Oh, man, it's good to talk to him. It's been like a month. Yeah, man. It's good to hear he's doing well. It's been a long time. So, yeah, this brings us to the meat of the show, the Melee Duelist Prestige Class. Boys uh, and girls. So, yes. As we finally we are- finish uh, KOTOR, right? Finally, yeah, dude. We're continuing our prestige class discussion this week, and we finally round out KOTOR Campaign Guide with a discussion of the Melee Duelist Prestige class. Um, Dave, 
when I remember when Kotor was released, uh, there was much hullabaloo about this prestige class, or as, as some called it, the ladle of awesome sauce to add to the bathwater in the luxurious bath your character will take before entering battle and utterly humiliating a large number of foes with relative ease and flying Ginsu knives of death. Others just wow. went with melee duelist. Um, wow. That's, uh, that's not as creative, methinks. No, me either. Uh, no. Okay, to be fair, is this prestige class awesome? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. The problem a lot of critics had with it when it came out was twofold. One, its prereqs made no sense for a lightsaber wielder. And two, melee fighters were already clearly potentially awesome in the game. If you'll recall our Wookiee Vibrowax wielder from our last episode, who averaged 23 points of damage at first level. Uh, okay, for, as for these two issues, I have this to say. Number one, for the first issue, thanks to the glory of the errata, the prereqs have been changed. And as for number two, I would argue that somebody making that statement is defining a melee fighter far too broadly. Sure, sure. Strength monkey melee fighters, Qun, that's, that's Qun, not Pwn. Q is one more than P is better. It's better. Um, but our dex-based weapon finessers did not have such awesomeness thrust upon them. No massive power attack bonus, no, no two-handed strength bonus badassery. The light melee weapon got arguably much less love, with one glaring exception, which we'll come to. Not anymore, boys and girls. Ah, uh, yes. Now the wielder of the vibroblade can make the Wookiee shake with fear, and we are going to find out why. So turn, younglings, in your KOTOR campaign guide to page 46. Hmm? 46, 46, 46. Yes. That's four after 42, and one so, after Colt 45. Okay. Do, you know how I, do you know how I prepared for this, this episode? You stood on your head in a bath of soap while listening to the Smashing Pumpkins and TG rub the bottom of your feet. No. No, that would be interesting. Okay. No, I, wa- I did what I love to do. I-, I watched movies. I watched a couple movies in particular. I watched Enter the Dragon, followed by uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, <laughs> which kind of gave me a general view, and it should give you a general view, of what exactly the melee duelist is. All right? So uh, let- let's-, let's-, let's talk about, uh, let's start with a segment I want to call Enter the Dragon, um, or the basics. Uh, melee duelist is pretty self-explanatory, but there are certain connotations that need to be understood with that title and with this prestige class. We're talking more Bruce Lee here than Conan the Barbarian. More uh, Oscar De La Hoya than Mike Tyson. More Kawasaki ZX-14 than M1 Abrams. <laughs> more, uh, more Rey Mysterio than Andre the Giant. Uh, you, you get what I mean. He's only mostly dead. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> this prestige class represents speed, movement mastery, and dexterous melee fighters. And as such, its basic abilities and prereqs reflect that. Okay, so the basics. The melee duelist gains, hopefully, thankfully, a full base attack bonus. It is a fighting prestige class. And a plus four to reflex defense with a plus two to will defense. This is a bit odd for our normal, quote-unquote, fighter prestige classes, which usually focus on fortitude. But the melee duelist is not a meat shield, and its die eight hit die represent that. Uh, for a melee combat combatant destined to be in the thick of things, this might seem an odd choice, but it does make sense when you consider the figure and form of the melee duelist and that they focus more on simply not getting hit in the first place. That's right. So they, 
Just like, my name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. Another excellent example of a melee duelist. Thank you, old school. So, okay, the prerequisites. Okay, the melee duelist prerequisites all focus on combative abilities. Okay, you got to have a minimum hit level of seven, a minimum base attack bonus of plus seven, uh, feats. Uh, you the feats to have this, you got to have melee defense. Okay, which is essential for the whole not getting hit part. You got to have rapid strike, which is essential for the whole I'm gonna f you up part. Oh. <laughs> you got to have weapon focus with any melee weapon. Uh, the book says different, but the errata has graciously expanded this. Um, the prerequisite should simply now, thanks to the errata, be weapon focus in any melee weapon, whereas before it was only um, advanced, it was an advanced melee weapon or an exotic. Yep. Uh, so yay! Uh, now Jedi and uh, <coughs> martial artists can reap the fruits of this prestige class more sensibly. Okay, other things to consider in terms of prerequisites... Okay, uh, when you're building a character to move into Melee Duelist, there are a few things that aren't prerequisites, but you simply should have, based on how this prestige class performs and what you need to do in it, okay? You need to have a decent intelligence and charisma. Okay, wow, that's kind of odd for a Melee fighter, I know. (laughs) But you'll need at least a 13 intelligence for Melee defense anyway, and a decent charisma will help with deception, which a couple of key abilities center around, okay? Consider this. Toughening up. Look, dude, a D8 hit die sucks. It sucks hard. And early choices made to shore up your hit points might be a pretty darn good idea. Namely, a decent con score. Or perhaps even, oh, I don't know, the toughness feat. Yeah. And lastly, when you're building up to this, you need to be happy with being weak. (laughs) Okay. Bottom line, strength is now your dump stat. Okay. What? A a melee fighter with poor strength? That's sacrilege! Okay, but yes. Okay, furthermore, you need to take weapon finesse at first level and shore up that dex as high as you would go. Now, granted, you you do need a 13 strength at least just to take rapid strike and use it well. But that's as far as I'd go. Nothing beyond a 13. Honestly, the the biggest problem this class suffers from, Dave, is mad. Multiple attribute dependency. Right. You got to have okay strength, okay intelligence, and okay charisma, and you got to have a good dex and a good con. I mean, yeesh. Uh, but it's all worth it. Trust me. Yes. So let's kick off the main meat of this class with a segment I want to call "Flying Ginsu Knives of Death," or uh, a common term, uh, war-related, the tiger against the elephant. Oh yes, this is like the squid against the octopus, or. Perhaps the beetle against the eagle. Uh, no, I wouldn't. No, no, no not quite. More importantly, run wild. The, the fast and quick thing uh, against the lumbering tough thing. Oh, um, like the all the melee duelist abilities the and the talents that, that they choose, they center around them being a cunning combatant, relying on speed and intelligence rather than brute force, tactics and movement CIA. rather than fortitude and massive damage. So... The Master of Movement is the even-level ability of the Melee Duelist, okay? And Master of Movement is a doozy. Um, I've heard people refer to this ability as the Dervish of Death. Basically, a a number of times per encounter equal to half your Melee Duelist level, you can simply ignore the effects of difficult terrain or low objects when you move. Or you can choose instead to re-roll an acrobatics or a jump check. Uh, that ability has a great deal of use. I mean, if your GM is planning his encounters properly, and I hope he is, listen to episode 37, the list, um, 
then difficult terrain is a problem you should be dealing with fairly regularly. Okay. Furthermore, when coupled with feats like Acrobatic Strike, which you should probably be picking up anyway, being a dex-based fighter, the ability to reroll acrobatics is fantastic. Okay. So let, let's Dave. Let, let's talk about the talents of this prestige class. Um, I want to call this segment. I'll cut you. Uh, I'll, I, I'll, I'll cut you. <laughs> I cut you, boo. I cut you. Um, a look at the talents of the melee duelist with with access to tried and true soldier talent trees and one new tree with nine talents of its own. Uh, the melee duelist has a lot to choose from. Is one of them called the shank? No, it's close a, though. It's a verb, you know, to shank. To shank, but it's also a noun. It's a verb and a noun. It's beautiful. Oh, yes. First and foremost, the melee duelist, Dave, gets access to the brawl talent tree and the weapon specialist talent tree, and those are both soldier talent trees. This just makes sense. I would certainly hope that a melee fighting specialist should be able to access the two talent trees devoted to becoming a weapons master and a melee master. But ultimately, it's the new talent tree that shines here the melee duelist talent tree. This talent tree is about using intelligent fighting tactics, speed, and maneuverability to harm your foe. And the first talent in this tree is called Advantageous Strike. Right? And I like this a lot. Basically, you know how to genuinely take advantage of an opening that your enemy gives you. You gain a plus five bonus to any attack of opportunity that you make with a proficient weapon. Period. Um, this is cool enough, but if you're smart enough to stag up, snag up Withdrawal Strike, then you're going to be a devastating foe for anyone stupid enough to get close to you and then realize, oh yeah, they can't withdraw. Um, mm. They pretty much have to tumble away or face an attack of opportunity. And if they do that, you're probably going to hit them. So it's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Next up, uh, there's two talents I want to talk, and we are going out of order here, guys. I've kind of grouped these together in terms of their relation to each other. Uh, the next two talents I want to talk about are based around deception, dirty tricks, and out of nowhere. Okay, dirty tricks. I freaking love this talent. Okay, you can use the faint application of deception with two swift actions instead of a standard action. This effectively means that you can feint and then attack in the same round. And this I like. Me likey a lot. Okay, But as a prerequisite, you have to be trained in deception, which is going to require some skillful character maneuvering, and we're going to come to that. Now, the next thing, uh, this deception-based talent I like, is called Out of Nowhere. And... Uh, I want to talk about this next because this talent also requires you to be trained in deception and also to have weapon finesse. And what this does is once an encounter, you can attack as a free action with a light melee weapon or a lightsaber after you successfully feint an opponent. So in other words, this lets you do what Dirty Tricks does while still leaving you with a move action. Okay, And if you have Dirty Tricks, you can feint with two swift actions and then attack twice. Once as the free action, once as your standard action. That is putimous, all right? And since your foe is going to be flat-footed, mm. you're going to gain the benefit both times. That's just, I love it. I love it, okay? Uh, the next talent I want to go into is multi-attack proficiency, advanced melee weapons. Again, yeah, it wouldn't be a combat prestige class without a multi-attack proficiency of some kind, and this one is for advanced melee. Yay! Uh, reduce any multiple attack penalties by two. You really can't go wrong here. Nope. Uh, yeah, you really can't. Uh, okay, the next series of, of talents here, uh, Single Weapon Flourish 1 and Single Weapon Flourish 2. Okay, now, now we're getting into it. The probable reasons that you really started taking this prestige class. 
Single weapon flourish one. Wield a single light weapon or a lightsaber, and you can make a full attack, such as a double or triple attack, or even a whirlwind attack, okay? Which takes a full round. Then you can move your speed as a free action anytime during your turn. That's the key. Anytime. This means that you can actually pull off one strike of your double attack, then move your speed, then pull off the other strike of your double attack. Okay? That's freaking awesome. Okay? Yep. And the prereqs for this are pretty sensible. Okay? A double attack in either advanced melee, exotic, or lightsabers, and weapon finesse. Bada boom. Okay? So the daddy of single weapon flourish one is single weapon flourish two. All right? It has the same prereqs as one, plus you have to have single weapon flourish one, right. and master of elegance, which is another talent we're going to come to. When you're wielding that single weapon and you make a full attack as a standard action once per turn, this has been errated, this gives you the flexibility of a full attack with an unrestricted move and swift left, perhaps to let you use dirty tricks to faint beforehand. So in other words, now you can, you know, it's really cool to be able to take your full round action and then move, but with single weapon flourish two, that full attack just becomes a standard action, leaving you with a full move to do what you want, not just move. Maybe you want to take another type of move action, and then also a swift as well. So much more useful. Now, the, the next two are, are similar but different, okay? Uh, we, just, we just discussed single weapon flourish. The next two are dual weapon flourish. Dual weapon flourish one, dual weapon flourish two. These are designed for the dual weapon wielder um, when you're wielding two light melee weapons or lightsabers. Um, after attacking with one, uh, you can attack with the second with dual weapon flourish one as a free action against the same target and the normal two weapon fighting penalties apply okay now this leaves you with a swift and a move action left which usually isn't the case after making your full attack with two weapons all right and naturally the prereqs for this are dual weapon mastery one and weapon finesse um dual weapon flourish two is again the daddy of one it has the same prereqs as one with the addition of dual weapon mastery two dual weapon flourish one and this master of elegance that we're going to come to and this talent, Dual Weapon Flourish 2, gets rid of that pesky same target rule by allowing you to simply perform a two-weapon full attack as a standard action. No target limitations. So I can hit the guy on the right of me, and I can hit the guy on the left of me. No worries. Okay. The uses for these talents, Dave, I mean, they're pretty basic. I mean, and, and, and you know, uh, I mean, with, with your melee monster, I mean, full attacks are usually the key to doing awesomeness in a game. And yeah, Rapid Strike is really cool. You're doing an extra die of damage. But when you're able to pull off two attacks, you're doing double the die of damage. You know what I mean? Righto. Because in essence, you're, you know, you're getting two attacks. So the problem with this, though, and what keeps the reins in is the fact that unlike prior D20 systems, the only way to do multiple attacks is through the use of really feats. I mean, dual weapon mastery um, or double attack, triple attack. And the rules are very clear in the fact that, you know, when you do this, you don't really get to do anything else, okay? This changes that core mechanic, all right? And that's really, really important. Now, the last talent tree, talent in this talent tree, um, is Master of Elegance. Now, this talent is itself a prerequisite for two others, of course, uh, but I still consider this the penultimate talent for this talent tree, and here's why. Simply, Master of Elegance is the common man's Ataru, all right? Apply your dex bonus to damage instead of strength when wielding a light melee weapon. You wield it two-handed, and you apply double your dex bonus to damage. All right? Prerequisites of weapon finesse and either single or dual weapon flourish one. That makes sense, okay? The only caveat here 
they do not mention lightsabers for this particular talent. Only light melee weapons. A lightsaber, though it is weapon finessable, is a medium weapon, and thus not a light melee weapon. A medium-sized Jedi would need to wield a Shoto in order to take advantage of Master of Elegance. So it's still maybe better for them to go Jedi Knight and pick up Ataru. Bottom line. But that's pretty cool. And I mean, you, you, Dave, I mean, with your Wookiee, you know the amount of damage that you do wielding two-handed, right? Sure. I mean, can you imagine if you were a dex-based fighter and you were able to do that? No. I mean, you'd be unhittable because your dex would be so freaking high. Yeah. Um, so it's just really, really cool and definitely the penultimate ability of this prestige class. Um, okay, so wrapping it all up, Dave, I want to talk about how to be Beatrix Kiddo because, again, I watched Kill Bill. The bottom line. Okay, wh- what do you take away from all this? What is a melee duelist? Okay, go do me a favor. Watch Kill Bill. Watch Enter the Dragon. Then get back to me on that. Okay? Is a melee duelist a meat shield? No. Of course not. Is a melee duelist a massive stormtrooper pasting axe fighter? No. A melee duelist relies on speed and guile. A two-weapon master. An einhander. But as you build your melee duelist, there's a couple things you need to keep in mind. Number one... You are squishy, okay? And you're going to be going toe-to-toe with somebody. This means that boosting your reflex defense to simply avoid getting hit in the first place is very important. Melee defense, improved defenses, dodge, and hella high dexterity, they are all good things. Two, you are not going to do as much damage per hit as a melee monster like Dave's Wookiee. Not until 10th level, at least. Power attack means nothing to you with your light weapons. And your most likely small strength score is not going to help matters any. It won't be until third level in this prestige class that you can actually pick up Master of Elegance and then use your decks for that purpose. So what do you do for ten levels up until that point? Well, if you can't hit them hard, you hit them often. Dual Weapon Mastery and Double and Triple Attack should be your early career paths. Dual Weapon Mastery will saddle you with the fewest multiple attack penalties, and your hopefully high decks will be able to cope with the DWM prerequisites. Okay? Rapid Strike, also brilliant, and you'll need it anyway. Never shrug off an extra die of damage. All right? Now, advancing to become a melee duelist. All right, oh boy. Okay. Where to go? What to do? All right, well, there's a couple paths I would recommend on the road to becoming a melee duelist. Which one is the one less traveled? Actually, I think it would be this first one I'm going to mention. Very good. And I want to tell you why. I would recommend that you take your first level in Scoundrel, maybe Noble, then go Soldier all the way. Why? This allows you to train in Deception and Acrobatics at first level. All right, thus be able to make the best use of dirty tricks and out of nowhere. I mean, dude, you're a faint machine. That's awesome. The problems with this, okay, twofold. One, this prestige class has a base attack prerequisite, so one level in Scoundrel will set you back to now only being able to become a melee duelist as early as ninth level. Okay. Problem two, hit points. You think a D8 sucks? A D6 is worse, and starting your career with 18 hit points instead of 30 is pretty freaking nasty. 12 hit points is a lot. That's a lot. A lot more than you're going to make up with toughness uh, for, well, 12 levels. If the hit point is a serious concern for you, and it should be, since you're going to be a toe-to-toe fighter, then start as a soldier instead, and pick up a level in Scoundrel later. Then, when your intelligence boosts, or you gain access to a feat, train in Deception at that point. Okay? 
when you take Scoundrel for your Scoundrel talent, and, and this is why I recommend Scoundrel instead of Noble, two reasons. One, their talents. The other, they can train in acrobatics. Nab Sneak Attack or Dastardly Strike. Since you're going to be this faint machine anyway, make the best use of it. Okay, the Scoundrel's combat talents were made for this. So, there you go. Now, the second path, and what is definitely the more heavier travel, Dave, is to totally disregard the two deception talents, because there's, there's seven other talents in the tree, and you're only going to be able to take five, okay? And just go straight soldier, all right? Great hit points for your first seven levels will help you cope with the shock of the D8 when it comes, and you'll be able, able to enter melee duelist as quickly as humanly possible, eighth level. Grab talents and feats that let you strike more often and strike harder and easier. Rapid strike, weapon focus, they're of course essentials and they're prerequisites for the prestige class. Strike first, as strike hard, no mercy, sir. Okay. Cobra Kai! Ah! Beautiful. But weapon, weapon finesse also needs to be an essential for you. You're a deck-space fighter. Make the most of it. But I want you to take a long, hard look at weapon specialization and melee smash. More damage, even a few points, adds up when you're striking frequently. All right? You want to get creepy and flip out your GM? Grab stunning strike and devastating attack and a pair of stun batons and start the path of dual weapon mastery. Melee duelist makes for a devastatingly effective dual weapon fighter and the above combo can drop a foe unconscious in a single round okay because with uh devastating attack uh, excuse me uh, you, you know you're, you're treating your foe's damage threshold as five less with stunning strike you can move to throw three steps down the condition track with a single hit two hits and bam they're unconscious yep lastly i do want to touch on the jedi um, thanks to the errata, this is now a much friendlier class for the Jedi, and a Jedi's full base attack bonus helps them get into it easier. But I am still firm in my belief that a better saber combatant can be found in the Jedi Knight. The lightsaber talents are just too damn good. Uh, maybe a level dip in Melee Duelist for a wicked talent or two, but it's not the first tact I'd take. So, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And okay. lastly, let's talk about role playing a Melee Duelist. Alright, so you've rolled up a Melee Duelist. What is he or she going to be like? How are they going to act? How do your mechanical abilities affect you as a role player? Okay? Well, as a melee duelist, you're a different breed than most. You're lithe, you're fast, you're sharp, probably a little twitchy. You scoff at the rustling and loud behemoths that don't understand the pure elegance of true combat. They may be able to cleave you in twain with a single blow, provided they can even hit you, but you will give them the death of a thousand cuts. You're probably a tad arrogant. I mean, it comes with the territory. Being smaller and less hardy than other fighters gets you looked down upon. All the while, while you know you could hand most of them their asses. And that's frustrating. And most combat, uh, excuse me, most combat it by developing large, arrogant chips on their shoulders. Uh, but this is usually a non-caring arrogance. A cold arrogance. Yep. You probably relish combat as an art form. Your passion has probably led you to be well-trained in knowledge tactics. Even though that has absolutely no mechanical benefit for your character, it is a wonderful role-playing choice. You take pride, extreme pride, in your weapon of choice. Training in mechanics is probably a good idea. And having the tech specialist feat, as a real warrior, can repair his own weapon. And, of course, would relish the chance to modify it. So that would also fit the role-playing build very well. So yeah, just a few more things to think about when you're building a melee duelist. Because quite honestly, Inigo Montoya is the bomb. As and you Inigo. killed his father, and, and you have to prepare to die. As you wish. As you wish. Of course. All right, man. 
So well, that is the go. Melee Duelist. Um, I'm glad you guys uh, uh, have requested it. I think it's a wonderful class to talk about. We're going to be moving on in coming episodes um, with uh, cl- future prestige classes from the coming books. But again, I do want to stress, we say this every podcast, this is y'all's podcast. This is, belongs to the Gamer Nation, and we want to talk about what you guys want to talk about. We've gotten several requests already, but we want them to keep coming. So again, email us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com. Get to the forums, d20radio.com slash forum. And, uh, of course, call the Lusa line, which is what, Dave? 206-600-5872 or L-U-S-A. Fantastic. Please suggest topics for the show. Uh, If you guys have any house rules you want to post up there for suspending the rules, get them on there. Any questions you want us to discuss in Docking Bay, let us know, and we will take our best stab at them. That's right. So we've reached the end of another show. It's sad. At times, very sad. To the 93 of you now viewing, I don't remember the last time we had 93 people. All right, the people in the chat room are laugh at me when I say 93 and 86 because they come in and they say, 25, there's only 25 actually chatting. However, as the host of Ustream, I see. When you guys go to Ustream.com, you see that there's a podcast like going on the front of the page. And you have no idea why? Well, people can watch, but not be in the chat room. So, just wanted to explain that to you guys, that I uh, I do see that there are 25 of you actively chatting, but there are 93 actually watching. So, to those That's 93, we say thank you. Well, thank you very much. I don't think I ever actually told that story that I can see that, but, you know, it's one of those Dave, things. I think it's safe to assume at this point that everyone thinks you can see everything. That's right. Every, I just appear out of the shadows with only two seconds left before. Improved far seeing is what I like to call it myself. Yeah, me too. Well, guys, it has been a fun podcast. Thanks again for listening. We hope to talk to you next week. And uh, this is GM Chris for D20 Radio wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. That's right. Gamer Nation. Keep them dice rolling. Hello, this is Outlaw Night Zero. And I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Because I can never figure out when it's supposed to be on. This is Captain Theros, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. I am far too busy getting it on. D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Daydreaming with GM Dave. All right, so let's get right into it. Apparently, it was very, very emotional when Heath Ledger, was it his mother, accepted the Oscar for him? I don't recall. I don't know. I I didn't watch. I'd be interested to find out, though. But it was a very emotional event, and I do believe he deserved it. It was freaking awesome. Yeah. My uh, wife told me that 
his uh, his folks, I think, uh, accepted it for him, and that people in the audience were just crying, and it was very emotional. And oh, okay, here's Cat telling us that it was his parents and his sister, and um, so I think they dedicated it to the little girl or something along those lines. But um, yeah, it was a great thing. I, I am really happy. Have they given away the um, best picture yet? I would imagine that that's going to go to. Um, Oh, Kate Winslet. What? Uh, I forgot. I forgot. Slumdog. Yeah, Slumdog. Oh, you know. Slumdog? Slumdog ticket? Oh, it deserved it. I'm guessing that it did, but, you know, I don't know. For you sure. should hear Brev go on and on and on about that. I haven't seen it. Oh. I probably need to. Which brings us... That was the first topic of choice here on the daydreaming segment here. Is that uh, I wanted to see what was going on with the Oscars a little bit, but um, the um, the other deal is the fact that we're going to be adding a, a number of shows to the network, and... I'm excited about this. Yeah, we're adding the whole Geekapalooza thing, and I, I'm not sure where we're going to go with it as far as trying to differentiate the brands. Um, as I... I I, don't, I struggle with the fact that we're going to have uh, one guy doing a coin collecting show. There's a girl that wants to do geek fashions and hair care and all this other stuff for girl gamers. There is um, my daughter wants to actually put the 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 tween teenager talk podcast on on this uh, channel as well. Obviously, Geekapalooza is coming out, and uh, Brev and Jed, a friend of ours, are doing a cinematic attic. And they already have a group on on uh, Facebook devoted to that. Yeah. And um, so they're getting started with that podcast, all of which I, I had in originally said, oh, we'll roll it all up and call it a Geekapalooza family of podcasts and, and roll it up to geekapalooza.net, which is the, uh, the site that's going to be the main deal for uh, aggregate all our activities for Geekapalooza, our con that, uh, or whatever, get together, whatnot that might happen this summer or next. So, so, so he's saying the, the general idea is we're, we're going to have two actual networks, like the D20 radio network and then the, uh, you know, Geekapalooza network or whatever we're going to call it, basically. Right. And D, D20 radio being devoted to gaming podcasts, Geekapalooza being devoted to other geekly pursuits. Right. And, you know, the more I think about that, the more I don't like it. The more I think that we have come up with a little bit of a, a brand with the D20 radio family. You know, D20 radio network and all that. I agree, but I also think it's a little silly to put a coin collecting podcast on the D20 radio network. Right. So, you know, do we change the name? Or do no. we change our entire... No, I don't, I don't want to do any of that. So... Anyway, the it goes on, and we'll decide. Yeah. It's still in limbo. Yeah, we'll decide what we decide when we decide it, and then we'll let you know what we decided. How about that? Oh, yeah. Yep. So the robot Matt, Matt Kenseth won another NASCAR race. I, could, I just can't believe it. Did he make a right turn? Um, not actually uh, until he got to pit lane, and uh, I mean to um, victory lane, and he uh, made a right turn then. But uh, beyond that... He really didn't make any right turns uh, in Fontana, California. So, yes, our beautiful 
Fantasy NASCAR. I can't believe the 20 Radio Network has a fantasy NASCAR league. Hey, I, I think we're about to get a fantasy baseball league going up there, too. <sighs> if you'd believe it. I mean, it is, after all, RPG. Sort of. Get a fantasy hockey league going. I'll play. Well, hockey doesn't start until November. I know. All right. Fantasy you hockey Got to have time to prep, dude. Got to have a draft. There it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And our baseball league is going to have a live draft, too. Talk about a beating. Oh, let's reverse the let's reverse the whip on that one. Oh, hate that. But uh, you know, you've got to sit there for all the time. And yeah, I'm just not going to do that. But you know, what are you going to do? I had a terrible first week. Second week was good, but everybody had a good second week. So it's kind of a California is just a note. Anyway, what am I talking about? I'm talking about NASCAR. Why am I talking about NASCAR in a gaming podcast? I really don't know. I've been saying this for about two months. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we had a little bit of controversy on the forums this week, and I wanted to touch on this. In oh, so boy. far as, yeah, I'm opening up a little bit of a can of worms. But here's the thing. There's a way to complain, and there's a way not to complain. Duncan, open your book. Begin taking notes. Oh, don't lay that on him. Duncan complains well. <laughs> I, I okay, he does now, but I, I just remember one of the first complaints we ever got that absolutely scalded me one way. Anyway, G dot bat. Very, very well said that argument. Was, that was a hell of a complaint. That was a complaint I enjoyed reading. It was well written. It was wonderfully uh it wasn't it wasn't jerky, bottom line. It wasn't preachy, it wasn't yeah. Which is why normally sometimes I, I tend to get a little bit emotional about people complaining because I, you know, quite frankly, usually don't agree. But in this case, I actually kind of did a little bit. Mm. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, very well said. I appreciate the feedback more than you know. And not only that. He's actually dangled the carrot of a signed Danica Patrick picture out there. If that were to happen, my brother. You hold you hold your breath on that there, buddy. Hey, if that were to actually happen, then Merkaba Jedi, I'm very sorry, but we're going to have to decline all future Captain Thero segments. <laughs> Based on Dave's whim. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I have, a, I have a forum announcement to make. The whim of a madman. Okay, go ahead, sir. We have a new moderator. Ah, yes. The gentlelady from Virginia. Yeah, no, that would be Arkansas. Okay, Arkansas. That's what I missed. Uh, Zarissa um, has gleefully (laughs) and graciously um, accepted a (laughs) moderator spot. Um, The Princess of Alderaan took the uh, reins as a a new forum mod uh, just yesterday. Um, We had a spot open up, and uh, I was... Very impressed. In the past few months, uh, Zarissa has actually just been an active forum community member who has contacted me with several occasions of uh, spam and other instances where she was actually doing some moderation without being a moderator, and it was good looking out. Furthermore, I was very impressed with the fact that she is actually an experienced mod who has done a lot of work uh, being a mod over on Watsi's Gleemax board. So uh, we are glad to add her to our community as a mod and want to congratulate her and uh, thank you for taking that responsibility. That's right. So, wahoo, wahoo. And one other forum thing, man. I, I, I didn't get this into, um, I didn't get this into, uh, into D20 docking, but I want to talk about it if we can. 
Okay. Uh, sure, it's I know daydreaming. It's, I know, it's, talk about I know it's daydreaming, but, uh, you know, do you mind if we get a little bit of Star Wars talk in? Sure, why not? Okay. There was a post that came in on Friday um, from uh, a poster, uh, the Revenkeist, uh, good KOTOR reference there, um, who says, you know, hey, everybody, I apologize um, if this is a post uh, with content that already exists, but I just couldn't find one using the search, so I don't know if one exists. Um, I, I'm just starting out as a GM. And I'm looking for any advice that anyone can give on starting out as a GM. Any and all help would be appreciated. Oh, yeah. And I never listened to the Order 66 podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, first of all, homie, congrats, man. Congrats on uh, taking up that mantle. You have a world of blood, sweat, tears, smiles, laughter, and great enjoyment ahead of you. And I hope you can stick with it. So um, advice, 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 advice. Number one piece of advice I can give you, man, is to keep at it. Um, you, your your first session you ever run is going to be okay. Not great. It'll be okay. But you're going to get better. Okay? And the more often you do it, the better you'll get. Okay? Second piece of advice I can give you is plan. Okay? Don't overdo it, but plan. Uh, when you create your sessions and your campaign, give episode 37, the list, and episode 47, Tipsy Tips and Holocron Hijinks, um, a listen. And you can find them at d20radio.com uh, in the uh, D20 in the Order 66 feed. You can download any of our prior episodes. And that is all the information that I can humanly impart to you about encounter and campaign design. And the third piece of advice I would give you, um, if you actually want something physical, um, I highly recommend for a first-time GM and an experienced GM, initiative cards. Okay, Simple tool. It can make your games much, much, much easier on you and your players. Create index cards for each one of your threats and with their stat blocks written on the cards, okay? Create index cards for each one of your PCs with an abbreviated version of the PC's important stats. And when you record initiative, shuffle the cards in initiative order. And then you can just flip through them during the encounter, okay? Um, and, you know, as you pull up, you know, who's going to go right now, look at who is next and remind that player, hey, you, you're up next, giving them time to plan when their turn comes. Ultimately, it's going to create a much, much smoother session, Okay. Um, then the rest will come, man. It'll come. Okay. I wish you luck, and um, I'm gonna say a prayer to the gaming gods in your honor. So, knock him dead, Revan. Knock him dead. And I, I really, uh, I wish you luck, sir. Yeah, I'm gonna go with old school on this one. That uh, you know, daydreaming is all well and good, but this would have been good in uh, let's see, uh, the main cast. Hey, I asked. I'm sorry. What can I say? You know, I'm sorry. There that's you go. all right. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people that don't listen. We might just have to rehash it in episode 56. Eh, man, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, you never know. So, all right, so chat room, listen up. You guys enjoyed Twi'lek goodness pre-show antics as much as you did, and we um, we sort of, I think, I don't, I don't know if, if she ever actually agreed to it, but I'm just going to put it out there so now she's hooked. She will be my co-host for Geekapalooza boys does she know this already uh pretty sure yeah yeah i mean we talked about it over the weekend and there you go now i do find it really curious that uh i wanted to do a jack and jill podcast you know for geeks and somebody in seattle started a jack and jill podcast for geeks and i just you know i'm curious if they were listening to our podcast and and just kind of oh hey let's just do it well 
you know. Oh, you see now that the 18 second delay hits the chat room and they're all happy about the fact that Twilight Goodness is going to have her own show. <laughs> it's going to be cool. It's yeah, going to be very it cool. Is, it's going to be fun. We're going to, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about it all because we love lists. Mm-mm-mm. Yes. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Barbecue oh, is a sport. Just remember. Oh, hey, you know, they have championships. Barbecue is a sport. Absolutely, man. So, yeah. Did I ever tell you, did I ever tell you my definitions for what qualifies as a sport? Yeah, you have. Okay. But go ahead because the chat oh. room wants to know again. Well, no, no, I, 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 there are certain activities people take place in that I do not believe are sports, okay? Um, namely, uh, well, okay. Fishing? Uh, well, I don't know. Okay, here's, here was my, this was my criteria, okay? In order for something to be qualified as a sport, not a hobby or a pastime, but a sport, you have to, number one, be able to make a decent living on compensated endorsement alone. Meaning, if I am good enough at this activity, I can make a living just doing ads for companies based on my goodness at this activity. All right. Now, that includes a lot of stuff. Okay. And to be frank, a lot of hobbies and pastimes do meet this criteria. But my second criteria for what is a sport is that you must have the ability to suffer grievous bodily injury and or death while performing it. All right? Right. Therefore, people do die when they fish. But this is often the result of not fishing directly, but rather just being on a boat in the water. But would that make boating a sport? This would Then it certainly makes NASCAR a sport, which I don't know if I have much truck with that. Right. It's all you know. Now, what it does do is it discounts golf. Golf, according to my criteria, is not a sport, nor is tennis. But I've, I've played tennis, and I've seen people and, and, killed and on the golf course. It is very much a sport. I saw a guy get killed on the golf course. Really? Yep. Hit by a ball. Hit in the head. Wow. Huh. I also saw another guy almost get killed on the golf course because he w- he went into a place he shouldn't have to search for a golf ball. And a copperhead came out at him. Ooh. And he but managed again, I don't know if that's directly a result of golfing. That's just the no. result of doing something no. stupid. He he managed a very deft swing with a nine iron to catch that uh, snake as he was coming at him. Otherwise, he'd have been... Well, we'd have had to take him to the hospital. Wow. That's impressive. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. Paintball, you can't really die at paintball unless you get hit like in the eye. 17 yeah, times at short mask. range. Yeah. You're wearing a mask, though. Yeah, that's true. So. Now, it always pisses me off because I, I've done a fair amount of paintballing. And um, every time I watch a television show or a commercial where some guy's paintballing, there was a commercial for Vault, that really lame cola slash energy <laughs> drink a while ago, where this guy was out there paintballing. He's like, oh, I drink a Vault and I'm awesome. And he's just wearing goggles. Just goggles. There is not a single paintball field on in the, in the U.S. or any other, you know, Western country that will allow you to paintball without wearing a full mask. But uh, nice. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, Dan, Dom's on the Dom's on the chat saying, "Yeah, a friend of mine nearly had his jugular ripped open by a paintball." I can see that. 
I can see that. Those things hit hard, man. They hit absolutely hard. And when you're out on the field too, your the velocity of your gun actually has to be uh, ha has to be a certain speed. It can't be faster than a, a set amount. And they actually have like um, velocity testers out on the, the the practice range that you can go and test your gun at. And in real competition, they will actually check your stuff but i have paintball with guys that will get out on the field and once they're on the field they pull out a little allen wrench and they will ramp up their uh, velocity and uh they'll be hitting a lot harder and of course consequently farther than they normally could um, but it can also be yep. very very dangerous what about soccer yeah so don't mm. even don't even say that's not a sport dude that is the oh, dude. no 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 i'm not sport. i'm not it's soccer is a sport Okay, it, it is a sport. It, 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 is it a bunch of fairies dancing around in tight shorts? Yeah, but it's still a sport. And you know what? I've, I've played soccer when I was younger. This break is brought to you by the fact that millions and billions of people play soccer. And unfortunately, they're all pissed off right now. Listen, he's calling me back. See? There he is. That's what you dude, get for distant dude, soccer. You just let me finish before you react in anger. Anger that anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Hate leads to an Order 66 podcast. Oh God. Uh that's just that's just that's awful. I, I swear. That's just absolutely yeah. awful. Anyway, as I was saying, it was very much a sport. I played soccer when I was younger and I got kicked, okay? And I thought I had to go to the hospital. It was that bad. Yeah. So okay, yeah. I can So and okay, so this morning my daughter played out of her mind. She played such a great game of soccer, I almost cried. Now we were playing the number one team in all of the land of the state of Texas, and uh, we tied them one to one. And we probably should have beaten them because we dominated the second half. But alas, the bloody post got in the way of a ball, and therefore. We did not win. Also, there's some dispute as to a ball actually going over into the goal and the keeper very deftly taking it out before the linesman got in position. I would argue he should have been in position in the first place, but I tend to trust the referees most of the time, so I don't think it was a goal. Anyway, we mm -hmm. tied one-to-one. -one. We got our point, and, you know, we're happy. Yeah. But, no, I, I joke with the whole fairies comment just because it cracks me up, but, I mean, it's it's a very traditionally stereotypical American stance to take. Um, and I'm, I've never really been a stereotypical American, so I don't know why I take it. But uh, I, I don't really. Um, soccer is a very, very tough sport, and it is a very violent sport, and people get hurt all the time, especially in the audience, especially in the stands. Yeah. I, I will say soccer <laughs> hooligans are some of the weirdest, craziest, most insane, you know, the, the riots that occur at soccer games are the best riots. I know. I know. Old school, actually. I saw him on TV because he went to a Manchester United game. Oh, they threw him out. Ooh. Yeah, I saw him. Uh, yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah, was uh, Yeah, unbelievable. But, Didn't yeah, so soccer's a sport. Anyway. Oh, I agree. Wholeheartedly. But, you know, NASCAR's not, but that's okay. <laughs> yes, grown <laughs> men chasing each other around the track like dogs. I'd just be happy if one of them made a, time, a right turn. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It's not racing. I don't know. It's just it's NASCAR in particular. It's just, I don't know. Like Formula One, I love watching Formula One. Like, like they have to actually like turn their cars. It's really right. cool. All right. So to return to the subject that I got sidetracked off of before we tangentialized about 17 times. 
what? We tangentialized in yeah. daydreaming? Uh, you got off topic? Are you kidding? Nah, it's nuts. Anyway, you're going to be looking at a uh, radically different front page to the D20 radio network or whatever we decide to do. It's it's going to get awful crowded on that front page where all the all the hosts are listing their their shows one by one. I mean, we already have a train wreck on on Sundays and Mondays when we have five shows go up there. Imagine when we have like ten. You're going to be off the first page before your cast even gets two days old. <laughs> so, I'm I'm trying to dabble with some additional Ajax technology. If somebody knows how to program Ajax and you don't mind doing it for free, call me. <laughs> what I really want to do is is go to a, a a model where everybody has their own blog page for their own podcast, and we have a navigation on the front that you can roll over, and it brings up a thumbnail or what? What do you call it? Uh, yeah, you know, a bring, pop up. It brings up a little. It brings up a little uh, Java window that shows your podcast's blog while you, you know, it's almost like a tooltip. And then you can choose to click on it, go on to the, uh, go on to that blog or not. Or, and then, you know, you move it, you move it aside, you go to the next one and it hops up this tool, the, the, the Java window so you can see what's there. Anyway, that's where I'd like to go with it. And that way everybody kind of gets their own presence, but the, the, the front page becomes more of an aggregator than anything else. And just kind of lets you know where you're at and, and, what the network is all about, introduces the hosts, what we do, what we like, and is more informational. And then you have to go off to each particular show to see what their content is. And that's the model I think we're going to go to at some point in time. So anyway, it's, it's beyond me. I don't, know, I don't know the coding for it. But uh, at the very least, I think we're going to separate all these shows out to where they have their own blog pages and, and whatnot just to make things a little bit less cluttered. This makes general good sense. I'm also pleased with the plans we're doing for the forums. We're trying to get them less cluttered as well. Yeah, so, so you're going to see them. And in fact, if you go onto the forums now, you, you're going to start seeing them start to break out into pages. And so the main forum site is going to have a very generic skin to it. It's just probably going to be that blue and white that a lot of people liked. And then if you go into the Star Wars Saga Edition and, the, and, uh, and our podcast for Order 66 and the Holocron and all that... That's going to be your Star Wars skin, and then if you go into some of the Geekapalooza ones, that's going to be more of a generic skin. And Game like On, RF, uh, yeah, Game On will be generic, and yeah. RFH like fantasy and stuff like that. So, right. So you know, it, it's uh, it's really neat little stuff that we're going to just try and tweak on the on the website and and all that as we grow up a little bit further and you know whatnot. So we've also had some questions about I guess a, a few of our listeners discovered uh, Fear the Boot and some other Wandering Geek, and I guess they've they've banded together to make themselves a, a, a little network that, I say little, I mean, it's like us, uh, a podcast network that streams. And uh, some people have asked us, have we looked into it? Yes, we have. However, it's a little cost prohibitive. So, you know, you know, notice that the donation link came down. We don't We don't ask for or we don't even have any donation links up there anymore, simply because we've gone to a model that's a little bit cheaper, um, and uh, we don't need we don't need the um, the donations at this point, so we're not going to ask for them. So, but that being said, if we want to go to a stream, 
then we probably will have to put that back up there or at least find some sort of revenue to to pay for 60 80 bucks a month to make that buy, happen buy some t-shirts guys <laughs> yeah buy some t-shirts <laughs> buy some t-shirts oh ooh 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 we have cometh soon i don't know if we're going to be selling them or if they're going to be uh extra special swag maybe as prizes for our up-and-coming contests oh and next week i will be announcing the next contest for the gamer nation um or whether these are going to be ultra special swag for gen con attendees who can actually make it out um we have a very talented uh individual who is going to be making the first of our d20 radio dice bags ah yes yeah, and I am extremely excited about this. Also, of course, what we are going to have for Gen Con, most definitely, is those of you who came to Gen Con last year, I know this is six months away, that's kind of why I'm talking about it now. Um, those who came to Gen Con last year, of course, got some of the specialty order, uh, excuse me, D20 Radio dice, uh, which we had made. And we are going to be doing that again, of course, in a completely different color. Uh, so the general idea is going to be every year uh, there's going to be a specialty color made. And those of you who are able to make it out to the con and uh, meet up with the uh, Order 66 folk uh, or perhaps RFH or any of the other guys that are going to be there from D20 Radio Network will be able to get a hold of some of these amazing keepsakes for yourselves. That's right. And 10 years down the road, if you can show that you have all 10 collectible dice, you get a prize. We, you get a, yeah. A prize. That'd be the the 10th anniversary die, which would be like gold or silver or something. <laughs> very, very nice. Well, the chairman saying, okay, if you, guys, if you guys start selling dice bags, do they come with dice inside? Uh, okay, and, and I'll tell you what. Okay, Dom is in the chat room. He's saying those dice have worked very well for his players. Dave, you you play with those. Are, are, do those D6s not roll better than anything else you've ever had? No, they don't. Well, what? <laughs> Only because I don't use them very often. And That's because you like your colored dice. I know my, my, my purple sparkly dice I, I really enjoy. But no, when uh, I, it always it does seem like that D twenty logo pops up quite a bit as a six. It know? pops yeah. up a lot. And yeah. every one of my players I have that use those dice are oh see see Shadow Stars in there, one of our mods who I met at Gen Con and he got some dice, he said, Hey, those dice roll nice. And they do. It's kinda creepy. It's really creepy. I've never seen dice roll that well. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's nuts. But it works out. All right, man. That's great. <laughs> That's greatness. So we'll have more dice. We'll have dice bags. Have you gotten the prototype yet from the dice bag manufacturer person or group? Uh, not yet, although I've seen... Uh, not, enough, not a full prototype, although I've seen some initial designs. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yep. Don't send me an email about that because GM Chris is handling all the swag stuff. Baba Booey. <laughs> And on that note, that's an ender right there. <laughs> All, right. All right. We're approaching two hours, and so we'll... Oh, lordy mercy. Cut okay. it off. And say thank you to the Gamer Nation for allowing us to invade your personal space. You guys stay hard, keep jamming, and we'll see ya.